Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, 20 episodes in, we're we're getting closer and closer to that 1,000 downloads. Um, you know, obviously there's been some highlights in, in these 20 episodes. We're in Christmas week. Mm-hmm. What's going on in your little bubble over there? Big 2-0, closing in on, you know quarter of a, a quarter of 100 episodes right now so that's really 20 coming up to 25 episodes i'm really looking forward to that then 50 7500 see what happens after that but i'm it's it's going really good man i'm really excited we had you know some family come over for a little social distance visit where we you know exchange gifts through like you know we put one thing out, they take it, we go back inside, they put it on like, you know, in front of our house, we take it. So it's like trying to coordinate everything a little bit, but it was good to see, you know, some family at the moment planning a Zoom Christmas with other family members. So when we eat, we have our camera set up, we're all good. And yeah, I'm just also binge watching a bunch of Christmas uh, shows, Christmas Vacation, that's always on Home Alone right now. So it, it's a Christmas week here in my house right now. How about you, man? Yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, Home Alone's like that must watch every year for me and my wife. I know uh, that's something oh. that we, we like to get in before Christmas happens. Now with the little guy, it's, you know, it's it's we, we did something similar to you yesterday. Uh, my wife does a, a Secret Santa with her cousin. So one of her cousins drove down just to just to leave a gift on the on the stoop and uh you know it's it's tough not not getting to see everybody i know mm-hmm. my grandma back home she's uh my, my my little guy's now seven months old she has yet to meet him and it's just you know it's it's a different time and um i think i think we're slowly starting to lock everything down again and hopefully we can get this under control and yeah. and figure it all out and have a normal christmas next year and get back to normalcy in 2021 but it's definitely you know i'm not uh Aside from the birth of my son, I'm not uh, sad to see 2020 go. Yeah, no, I mean that. I mean uh, that seems like the highlight. There's always one highlight or like one bright spot in this whole year, either before, or after, or during that. You know, you always want to make sure that this is what you want to remember for 2020. Nothing else right now. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, we will. We'll get into it later, but uh, we've got a. We've got a solid guest uh, lined up for today's episode yes uh we don't always prelude our guests but um you know having the short conversation i have had with this with this uh former player um you know it seems like it's going to be a good uh, good uh, few minutes with him so uh we look forward to that that'll be coming up a little bit later in the episode but uh let's kick it off with some nhl news and we have a start date we have we a do. start date we have um, you know, the NHLPA, NHL got together, figured out, uh, figured out most of the logistics. There's a few things that still need to be figured out, including provincial uh, bylaws and what's going to happen with the uh, the ramifications uh, provincially here in Canada, especially with uh, the possibility of an all Canadian division. Yes. Um, one uh, one thing to note is that BC seems to be the biggest problem at the, at this point. Uh, not wanting to allow uh, visiting teams into the their province. Um, you know, is this something that could push Canadian teams south of the border for for the upcoming season? Um, just a quick note on the start date. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that they're going to be voting on a 56 game 
Uh, training camps open January 3rd. Non-playoff teams can start earlier. No exhibition games whatsoever. Um, and then they'll be ready for January 13th. It's a little crunch. I mean, it's getting down to crunch time right now. I mean, it's is it, it's still probably going to happen at this point. I mean, they are probably going to vote on it. And they're, again, as you mentioned with the Canadian teams, which I'll get to in just one quick sec. And um, they need to iron that out, but also a four to six man taxi squad. So I, like instead of like you did original, you know, 20 man roster, you're going to get additional four to six players in case something does happen. Mm-hmm. So they got everything planned out at this moment. But yeah, I mean, just when we thought we had some good news, the whole, you know, possibility of Canadian teams locating in the U.S., B.C. right now, early this morning, coming out saying that they're not. Some things have, like, you could nitpick about what the NHL was doing early on about possibly renegotiating the CBA that they agreed to or everything like that. But they worked hard to try and make things work out right now. And this situation kind of like, you know, over overshadows everything right now it's 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 difficult because now um you just mentioned that you know the the impact of the canadian government has a final say in this and i know two days ago when this broke frank saravalli tweeted out a comment from public from the public health agency of canada saying the government of Canada's priority is to protect the health and safety of Canadians. The resumption of sports events in Canada must be undertaken in adherence to Canada's measures to mitigate the importation and spread of COVID-19. NHL teams and other professional sports teams must operate within the rules of their provincial jurisdictions uh, for sports and, or sporting events. So it's likely going to come down to the Canadian government is basically just saying, OK, you know what, we'll let the provinces handle this and if because we're in ontario right now if there's anything how lax the second wave is you know could they approve pl- uh play in ontario for toronto and ottawa who knows maybe because you know everything was just very lackadaisical in the second wave yeah i think <clears throat> you mentioned it in in you know obviously a lot of good news came from this uh you know they've got the 56 game season um I, I personally like the no exhibition games. I think it'll be exciting to see these guys get right into it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, that said, obviously there's still some kinks that need to be worked out. Need to be worked out, you know, sooner rather than later if they want to get this season underway when they expect to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that said, um, you know there we mentioned it. There is a possibility that the Canadian teams do find a way to play in the states, um, but I think it's you know it's going to be. It's going to be a rushed decision. Rushed, rushed decision. Yeah, I think it's going to be. You know, it's going to come down to the wire, and and like you said, it's it's left up to each province. And right now, you know, obviously Ontario is about to lock down. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of cities, a lot of towns that are locked down already, um, just with the numbers climbing again. Um, you know, and BC, BC had some some high numbers early on too. So yeah. I mean. It, it, it's no wonder they're they're kind of causing a stink about having you know teams from other other provinces come in <clears throat> but uh yeah i think you know if if everything can get worked out we're looking at like july 28th free agent frenzy after the season's done we're looking at top four teams from each division making the playoffs um it seems like they have 
most of the the logistics worked out for the the, the season and and how it's going to take place we're just waiting on where are these teams going to play if yeah. they can play in Canada and my thing is this i mean you, you just mentioned that where are the canadian teams going to play is it going to be in canada or in the us i understand you know all the guidelines all the rules in place and the fact that we're going into a second lockdown and everything like that like i've been following the rules social distancing mask wearing to a t since this pandemic hit and i understand that provinces are skeptical about that but now like i know our situation isn't great in canada right now all over ontario we've had over 2,000 cases for you know a few days right now that's really concerning but the U.S.'s situation is still the worst in the world. And we saw what happens with travel and play, the, what could ex- potentially unfold in the U.S. based on what happened with the MLB. And, that, and their system just wasn't that great at all. It was a mess. So you can still have a Canadian division in the U.S., but with the amount of cases that they're having right now, it's just... it doesn't make any sense to me right now you would rather it would they're probably safer in canada right now than they would be down there yeah they're no they're yeah they're like you said they're they're no safer going down to the states i think i think to be honest they got to figure out a way to to hold players accountable i I don't think you're gonna have a problem um you know if if it comes down to finding players that don't follow protocol i mean it seems like they have the protocols in place you know all uh, all all dinners are at at the uh, the teams res- or teams hotels. Um, yeah. There's no bars, no restaurants allowed. Um, you know they they kind of confine them to that area. It's almost like a mini bubble outside of the the big bubble we had in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you hold players accountable, I don't think you're going to have that problem um, that we saw. You know, with the MLB, even with the NFL. Um, Obviously, one player can change that whole whole dynamic, though, if, mm-hmm. if they were to go out. So, you know, I think uh, it, it, there's still a few questions that need to be worked out before we get this season underway. But the good news is they've got most of it figured out. It's just going to come down to how provincial or provinces are going to make, you know, that call on whether teams are coming in or not. Yeah, and <clears throat> just comparing this to, like, the Blue Jays and the Raptors, I mean— that's one team like in two other prominent sports uh, leagues. Only one Canadian team. So it's easier for one Canadian team to go over and play in the States, create their own bubble, have all these strict measures than anything else. I know the Raptors started playing in Tampa Bay right now, and there's a little joke about, oh, the Raptors get to play in an arena where, you know, a hockey team is actually good. Little shade at us, but that's okay. Um it's it's easier to move one team over and find a spot in the U.S. And now you have to deal with seven possi- with possibly seven teams right now. One maybe if all the other provinces agree to letting the teams play in their you know in their province, and BC is the only one that doesn't budge because I know that they're still in talks with the NHL right now to show that you know their measures are strict. And I remember reading that. You could only stay in your hotel room once you travel. You can't go anywhere else. You could only leave for the game. I don't know where that was, and I wish I had that source because I like to credit my sources no matter what. But, yeah, it's – what I don't understand is this. 
you saw how well the bubble system worked. If even though you're not in like an actual like hub city, if you limit your contact to just staying in your hotel room for the time being until you go to the arena, follow everything that the NHL did in that bubble to just a smaller uh, travel session right now, this still can work. I mean, I understand that, again, I said before, I understand provinces are hesitant because of this. And we are in a really great situation where hospitalizations and, uh, and cases are going up. But you take the precautions and you do the best that you can. I mean, the virus can still, you know, sneak up on you. And we talked about this with the World Juniors last week. It can still hit you even if you're taking the right steps. Just be extra cautious. And if anything... The NHL and NBA have the success, have the most success rate of finding what works in a bubble system. And if anybody could replicate it, it's them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, if we if if players are held accountable, I think you're going to see this be a success uh, moving forward. It's just it's mm-hmm. getting that acceptance from the pro, uh, provincial governments for them to figure it out. But yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Um, obviously there's two, two players that would like to get the season underway, uh, from this past week who signed one year deals. Um, you know, we, we kind of waited for this guy to sign, whether he was going to sign, where he was going to sign. Anthony Duclair finally signed with the Florida Panthers, a one year deal. The 25 year old has 79 goals and 162 points in 353 career games. He also finished with a career high 23 goals last season, uh, in 2019-20 and just finished four points shy of his career high in points. Um, good signing for Florida, in my opinion. I think, you know, you, I don't think you're you're expecting too much from this guy. You've got him on a one-year prove-me deal, and uh, I think, you know, it, it's a good depth signing for the, for the Panthers, uh, you know, especially in a shortened season like this. Before I get to Anthony Duclair, some breaking news just as we are recording this. Um, it looks like... No, sorry. Free Agent Frenzy is going to happen on July 28th. I believe we may have mentioned that before. I, I, I'm way off a little bit on this morning, but just right now, Darren Drager, April 12th, 2021, NHL trade deadline. So mark that on your calendars, if you will. Um Sorry, I feel like, you know, uh, like an actual reporter getting insider info right now, even though that info is already public, but it's still kind of cool. Um, but there you know go. And then when, when this is published, they'll uh, they'll know already. But hey, you know what? Anytime we can throw breaking news out there, let's do it. Yes, absolutely. And this is kind of important where we were just talking about the whole entire schedule and everything right now. So, um, but yeah, getting back to the topic at hand before, you know, we had uh, Bob McKenzie or sorry, Dreger. Um, tweeted that out. I mean, I'm surprised that Duclair lasted this long on the open market. And I understand the, you know, financial situations. Maybe he wanted a little bit more. Maybe it just wasn't a right fit in Ottawa. But you know what? There's everything to love about this deal. I mean, one year, prove me deal, like you just mentioned. And it helps out in the regards that, you know, you have a capable goal scorer or a guy who's known to put the puck in the net, although, you know, he had, he started to slow down towards the end of the year, but he was a hot goal scorer in the NHL on a poor Ottawa Senators team. 
And he was being scooped up in fantasy hockey leagues galore because of all the goals that he's been, you know, he was producing at, at a certain point early on in the league. So to have someone like Duclair come in and fill the void of sort of that offensive production that you lost in uh, Evgeny Dadanov and Mike Hoffman should serve, should serve as a perfect replacement on one of those top two lines. And I'm, you could probably make a better comparison that, you know, he could be more of a replacement for Dadanov as opposed to Hoffman because of the point comparisons and stuff like that. But in terms of like, I'm just going to throw out some advanced numbers right now. Anthony Duclair had was in the top 10 for goals, per, goals for per 60. Uh, he was fifth with 2.64. And he was fifth in expected goals for per 60. And when you look at those numbers or like trying to get, sorry, ninth in, ex, in expected goals for per 60. I don't even know what's going on. This is a rough morning, folks. Um, but yeah, he's top 10 in like goals for expected goals for, for Ottawa. And you know what? To have that kind of offensive production and that kind of a shot and speed in your offensive line or on the, one of your top six offensive lines, it's going to go well for uh, Florida. And I would love to see, I mean, how exciting would it be to see Huberto, Barkov, and Duclair as a top line? Yeah, I know, 100%. And like, like you mentioned, you know, it replaces guys like Dadenoff and, and Hoffman and you know, there's another guy that you're kind of waiting for the ball to drop in, in Hoffman and we don't really know where he's going to settle down yet. Could he come back to Florida? Possibly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for the time being, right, bringing Duclair is definitely a guy that, you know, he can fill that void a little bit and try and add a little bit of offense to a team that, uh, you know, certainly needs as much as they can get. Uh, as we saw, they were kind of the comeback kids uh, last season, and uh, hopefully this year, for their for their sake, it's not it's not as you know, focused on going down early and coming back uh, in the game because that uh, certainly doesn't work to your advantage for the most part. Mm-hmm. And but, again, very underrated goal scorer right now. So he's going to break out at some point. I mean, he already broke out this past year, but slow down. But if he finds that consistency, man, he is going to be a really, really good player. And it's, and right now, playing alongside two great players, possibly with Hubert and Barkov, I'm, I'm projecting that that's going to be well for him in terms of his offensive production. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Uh, another smaller signing um, for the Calgary Flames, Oliver Killington, uh, two, two-way deal, uh, one-year deal worth $787,000. Um, Killington has two goals and seven points, or had two goals and seven points in 48 games last year. He also has five goals and 15 points in 87 games uh, career games. He was second round pick, 60th overall in 2015 by the Flames. Um, you know, one of those guys that uh, could could be a, a good addition to the taxi squad, maybe. Um, but uh, you know, maybe not a household name at this point. Um, but definitely a guy that uh, you know, Calgary obviously thought it was important to bring him back. And uh, yeah, it should it should be a good depth signing for them as well. Definitely someone who could serve as a bottom pairing defenseman as well. I mean, um, this is a player who is potentially a top 10, top 15 pick back in 2015. 
and dropped all the way down to 60. And he hasn't quite taken major strides in his development. And I was doing some research on uh, Shillington, and there's a THW article uh, by uh, Derek Newmeyer, uh, Newmeyer, uh, who's now over at uh, FC, who wrote a great piece on Shillington back in 2015, and stated that he could be a steal for them if he just needed to work on his defensive game, because that's what did him in. That's what made him drop all the way down to the second round. And if he's able to get that under control or get that, you know, side of the game intact, he he can be the top, uh, like a really solid top four defenseman for uh, Calgary. And honestly, I was thinking that he would be at a 15, maybe drop as low as 20. But a lot of teams didn't like what they saw in him at that point. So maybe this now is the time for him to, you know, show the flames what he's worth, what he can do. And now it's time to buckle down because maybe his time is slowly running out to try and get to that point. Yeah. And, and now's the time to kind of prove yourself. It's a shortened season. Um, you know, obviously with it so condensed, you're going to get into a few games, uh, especially if you're part of a team's taxi squad. I think it's a, it's a no doubter that you're going to get into a few games. So now's the time to, to really steal a spot. If you, if you want to try and get, make that, make that move. And, uh, you know, for Calgary, obviously they lost a guy like TJ Brody. Um, mm. You know, maybe maybe opens the door a little bit. But uh, that being said, you know this this is a guy that uh, you know won't have that many more chances left, and uh, this this would be a great opportunity for him, I think, this season. Yeah, definitely. From signings to retirements, um, you know, obviously we know this guy well. He started his career in Toronto, Alex Steen. Uh, Stanley Cup champion with the St. Louis Blues. He's going to be retiring from the NHL because of back issues, which, you know, you hate to see. You never like to see a player go out like that. Um, 36 points in 91 career playoff games. He had 17 points in 55 games in 2019-20 and 622 career points in 1,018 regular season games. A career high 64 points in 2014-15. This guy didn't wasn't always your top offensive threat. That, that said, he was talented. He was a leader, um, and I think it was a big miss um, by the Leafs when they traded him. Uh, you know, and and really, when you look at the return now, looking back, it just did, doesn't justify you know losing a guy like Alexander Steen. I'm literally like have like face palming my face right now because I'm still really pissed off that that trade happened. As you can tell, I really hated that trade. It made no like like you said, it made no sense at the time to trade a promising player uh, like him for Lee Stempniak and even traded along Carlo Koliakobo, who was still, you know, a really steady defenseman or still trying to like find his game at that level um, for Lee Stempniak, who only had 52 points. A fifth round draft pick, 148th overall, 2003 by St. Louis. The least got for a first rounder in Alex Steen. Um, after looking at his points afterwards, after that 52 point season, 38, 13, 31, 30, 18, 38, 28, 32, 23. Highest was 41 with New Jersey in 2015, 16. You can see where I'm going with this, right? 
you already had like Steen had already had two 40 point seasons when he was traded. He would go on to be a consistent 40, 50, even 60 point guy, despite having a lot of injuries. He's a player that, you know, would have helped the Leafs when in, you know, that stretch where, you know, they could have used them where they've been in the basement for so long. But you know what? He added a cup to his name. He found success at St. Louis. And you really can't say nothing but congratulations. And first off, we hope that, you know, he is going to be healthy and feeling a lot better afterwards. But you know what? Um, He goes out a champ. That's the main important factor. And he was key to St. Louis during that cup run. We hope he's healthy and we hope that whatever retirement brings for him, uh, we wish him nothing but the best. I, I know we sound kind of repetitive when someone retires, but that's the one thing that you could say. We just wish them nothing but great happiness and just wish that they're very well during the uh, during the rest of their life right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, you know, I was never a huge fan of that trade either. I think I think they gave that was a time where the Leafs, you know, gave up on some guys very early. I think back to Anton Strollman. Uh, another guy that they they gave up on a little bit too early and uh you know obviously Steen was one of those guys and that's uh you know tough to see when you when you see a guy go on to have such a great career like he did so you know all the best hopefully his back uh doesn't cause him too many issues and uh you know he can get back in the game eventually as you know maybe a coach or or, or even a scout or something like that just to you know kind of go out on his own on his own terms rather than being forced out of the game so I'm just going to throw this out there as well. Carlo Koliakovo was a first-round pick as well. So he traded two first-round picks for a fifth-rounder who only got 50 points one time. Make that, uh, whatever, make that whatever how you will. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it at that because that was, as, as you can tell, that was a bad trade. Absolutely. It was, it was such a bad trade. Um, and looking back, it was just, yeah, it, it was awful. It was awful. I, I, like I said, I think that was a time where the Leafs just they decided they were going to give up on all these players, and it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, you look back, look at Anton Strawman. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy that has gone on. No, he's not the most offensive defenseman, but he's gone gone on to have a, a pretty decent career, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you know, Steiner. Steiner was definitely a guy that uh, I would have liked to see the Leafs hold on to, and. Um, it, obviously it didn't work out that way, but you know, you live and you learn, I guess. I, yeah. I, I, he, that's all you can really say. Um, the good another thing guy that, about, uh, sorry, the, the good thing about the second time around where they were like, you know, trying to rebuild, they hit the panic button, but they didn't make stupid decisions. So yeah. that, that's, that's the main important thing right now. Yeah, I know exactly. Um, Another guy leaving the NHL, it seems, uh, is Ilya Kovalchuk, the 37-year-old, a f- uh, first-round pick, first overall by the Atlanta Thrashers in 2001, made his return to the NHL in 2018-19 from the KHL. Uh, he finished with uh, the Kings, the Canadians, and and obviously finished 2019-20 with the Capitals. Um, 443 goals, 876 points, and 926 career games. Um, obviously never got that championship he was looking for, but a guy that was at, at the time when he was playing with the, the Thrashers was a perennial, you know, 40 goal scorer. Um, obviously people go back and they remember him playing alongside Danny Heatley. Uh, another guy that, uh, you know, d- isn't talked about much anymore, but 
Um, he he signed that massive contract with the New Jersey Devils, uh, opted out, mutual uh, agreement to can't to terminate the contract. He headed back to St. Petersburg in the KHL, and then like I said, made his return 2018-19. Just wasn't the same when he came back, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that was pretty obvious. Um, you know, just wasn't the same player. Didn't have the same speed. He was he was a lot older than uh, you know we were used to seeing him play. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a young man's game now in the NHL. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, and, and because of that, uh, obviously guys like Cole Chuck are going to be slowly weaned out of the, uh, out of the league. Yeah. I mean, you just hit it on the button. <clears throat> he was already coming back. He was already mid thirties and it was already like the youth movement was already happening in the NHL. I mean, Connor McDavid was already in the league when he came back. Austin Matthews, Marner, Nylander, McKinnon. Um, all these young, fantastic players right now are coming in, and he just couldn't keep up. I mean, yeah, the, the Kings did great on him to get to get him a chance or give him that opportunity to come back and show prove his worth. But, you know, 34 points in 64 games, then 9-17 and 17, traded to Montreal, and then he was traded back, uh, traded to Washington. So, you know, there's some, I mean, yeah, it's just, you, you don't want to see that happen because he was such a really phenomenal goal scorer. But I was already skeptical of him coming back before, you know, that he would get back to that point again. It's not like he was uh, like still in the league, still producing, still scoring goals at an incredible rate, just like Ovechkin. But those five seasons that he let missed since leaving New Jersey back in 2012-13, yeah, that had a significant impact. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's not talked about enough the way that he left. And, you know, obviously left a lot of money on the table with New Jersey. <clears throat> and I think he left, like, right as he was kind of – I mean, obviously, I'm not going to say his prime. He was a 50-goal scorer prior to leaving. But, you know, he had a, he had a lot of hockey left in him. And, and when he left, you know, those were some good years spent over in the KHL that maybe he missed out on opportunities here in North America. So, um you know, you always wonder why a guy does that, but I, you know, it wasn't talked about enough, and I don't think, I don't think there's ever going to be a reason that comes out as to why, in, unless he writes a tell-all book or something like that. But even yeah. then, you know, you never know what the real reason is behind something like that, a decision like that. Um, mm-hmm. Aside from that, you know, well wishes to Kovalchuk, and hopefully, he, you know, he For still sure. gets uh, a little bit of hockey, uh, hockey played this year over you know, back home or wherever he ends up. So uh, I just don't mm-hmm. think the NHL is, you know, his game anymore. So, yeah. Um, obviously, another hard-hitting story. Um, Henrik Lundqvist is going to miss the entire season after signing a one-year deal with the with the uh, Washington Capitals. Um, obviously, you know, King Henrik coming in, Braden Holtby left. Now the uh, the Capitals goaltending situation a little bit more up in the air with Ilya Samsonov as the go-to guy for for the Caps. Yeah, I mean this really hurts, man. I mean, ever since he he came into the league, he has been one of the perennial go- uh, goaltenders, no matter what, and we can see why he's earned the moniker King Henrik because he's always come out on top. I mean, great career with the Rangers. 
goes to Washington for one last chance to possibly <laughs> play for a cup. And now he's missing the season due to a heart condition. I mean, obviously he needs to look out for his well-being. That's always the, the like whenever a player's health comes into the conversation with his game, that's always at the forefront. But how gut-wrenching would it be for Hank if this would have been his final year? And now he can't play. Even if he tries to return after that, he's not going to be up to par because he's already going to be missing a full season right now. And then he has to call it quits right after that. It's going to be really difficult. This isn't how I like we wanted it to end. We wanted to have him have that, you know, Ray Bork moment, go out as a champion final year. That that feel good story, you know. This isn't how it should end. I, 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 and, I, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are saying the same thing right now. This is not the way we want to see it end for him. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I hope that maybe this year off kind of allows him to figure out what's going on with his heart. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. number one priority. Um, you don't want to you don't want to risk anything, uh, you know, especially for a game. Um, that said, I hope they do figure out what's going on there, and uh, maybe this is a is a good opportunity for him to kind of rest and and come back and and maybe get another season or two uh, out of him. But um, I think it's going to come down to you know see how he feels when that when twenty twenty one twenty two starts, and uh, obviously he'll go from there. But uh, yeah, I just you know I think it's 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 going to be tough for the Capitals. Obviously, they didn't see that one coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fortunately, they do have a, a very uh, capable goaltender in Ilya Samsonov uh, to to kind of fill in that gap. But that being said, you know, this guy's not going to go out there and play 56 games. So yeah. um, they're going to have to figure something out. Uh, but, uh, you know, we as we do with everybody, we wish the best to, to Lundqvist. And uh, hopefully, you know, like I said, comes back stronger and gets a couple yeah. years out of it so that he can kind of go out on his own terms. Yeah, I really want, I mean, again, only if he's able to, I want to see him make that run. Maybe if he signs another one-year deal with Washington afterwards, I want to see him go and chase that cup again. Because honestly, with him and Samsonov as sort of the one-two, that's a pretty good goaltending tandem right now. You got to grizzle that with Lungfist to help out a young up-and-comer like Samsonov right now. And now Samsonov is being thrusted into that starting position where you know, the plans have changed where maybe he and Lundqvist could have split the starts, but now he's going to take on more of that role right now. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they, uh, what they do. Could they sign another goaltender? Um, there's still a couple out on the market, although it's very thin right now. It, yeah, it's, it's a really an interesting situation right now in Washington. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we hope hit, hope, him the best mm-hmm. um you know another guy that kind of had uh, a tough run last year oscar lindblom uh is officially cancer free yes um yeah, this is great news obviously you know we've talked about it time and time again how 2020 has kind of been that uh that year to forget and um you know for for oscar obviously you know bad news to start the year and and some phenomenal news to to end the year and uh you know we're just happy that he's going to be able to get back to the game that he loves and um you know do it without that worry kind of overshadowing or lingering uh throughout his career yeah we i mean we all saw the video of him when he rang the bell that you know he finished his last treatment 
and he rang the bell, came back, played in the bubble for the NHL. I mean, you really can't say anything anything else about that. This is a harrowing story. This is you, you when you get that like that news, when you get it, obviously, you know, it's it's concerning because you know how many lives it takes. He was able to come back. He was able to beat it. And that's that's just the one thing that you can take from this. You just can't help but feel happy for him that it's gone, um, that he maybe he could. I mean, he already came back and played relatively well in the bubble. But now he could get back to like what he was beforehand and not have this dark cloud linger over him, you know. And yeah, it's like, again, you said it best right now. In a time where 2020 has just been very dreary and just very, you know, outright depressing with all the news that we've heard, this is something that should uplift us and we should be happy about. And yeah, this is... No, no, continue, continue. No, I was just going to say, this is one of those stories that everybody needs right now. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of who you are and, you know, obviously some people don't get joy in other people's happiness, but uh, this is a, this is a story that I think everybody kind of needs to hear, and that there's still there's still a lot of good going on out there, and for him to be cancer free, I mean, it's just it's one of those things that you just uh, you you know you want you want to hear more of of yeah. those kind of things. So, um, you know, happy for him, and obviously he'll be excited to get the season underway and uh, get back on the ice and and you know play a role in in hopefully helping Philly over that hurdle from last year or so hope perseverance and strength absolutely absolutely yeah um i think i'd be uh remiss if we didn't mention the world juniors um obviously it's it's getting closer and closer to getting underway um still some big questions though uh we there was 10 positive tests uh inside the edmonton bubble um, while inside, as they were getting into the uh, Edmonton bubble, mm-hmm. uh, eight Germans and two Swedish staff tested positive on Friday. Um, what is like? What does this mean for the World Juniors? We talked about it last episode, and and whether or not this tournament should even be going on. Um, that said, it obviously is going to get underway, um, and uh, now more positive tests and, and and a lot of a lot more questions. I mean, there's like you said, they're still going through with it because they already came out with a modified exhibition schedule. And I believe on the 23rd, Canada's playing Russia. So, um, side note, if you want to watch Rodin Amirov and Mikhail Abramov, go right ahead. But, yeah, I mean, it, they're they're going through with it. I mean, I know last week we talked about it uh, in length, considering the fact that, you know, maybe they should consider canceling it. And now that it happened within the bubble, granted that they're already in quarantine and everything like that, it's coming crunch time. They're in quarantine until the 24th, and they play Canada on the 26th. If by then they're still not cleared up with the virus or they still uh, come back with a positive test, it's scary to be a player right now because now you have that infection lingering in the bubble right now and obviously they're testing non-stop so if they see a positive test they're going into quarantine right away but it's scary to think just knowing how easily this virus spreads and now that you're in an isolated situation if i'm a player right now i'd be hesitant to play um i mean they're not going to play unless they're healthy but it's just not what you want to hear right now considering the fact that you know we understand that getting into the bubble was the big issue we understand the test happening outside 
before they get into the bubble, because that's what happened with the NHL, NBA, other leagues, what's, um, what have you. It's right now happening within it, and that is a, that to me is a cause for concern. I mean, obviously, they're still taking the precautions with the Al- Alberta Health Team and the double IHF. Everybody's in contact, so that's good. But, you know, it's 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 if it gets to a point where they need to cancel a mid-tournament, I have no objection to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, you you know, you mentioned it. Obviously, they, they're testing nonstop. They're going to, you know, try and in, uh, interfere with, with this test or the uh, the virus as much as possible. Um, that said, this could be a real game changer in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, knocking people out of the lineup if it continues to, to progress in the bubble. Um, you know, somebody tests positive, all of a sudden they've got to, they've got to quarantine for 14 days. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's the possibility of top, uh, teams, top players having to sit out. So it is a scary time. And, uh, you know, obviously the NHL did it right in how they were able to do it. That said, you, with this tournament, you were bringing so many players from all across the world. Um, and, and prior to their selection camp, there was no guarantee that they had been following protocol. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously, like I said, still a lot of questions. Hopefully they're able to get through it. Hopefully they're able to do it without any more positive tests. Um, obviously the number one priority is the health of the, the players, but absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we get a little bit of hockey over the holiday season and, and, you know, everything goes through smoothly. But that being said, some exciting news from the world juniors, uh, Kirby doc has been named captain of team Canada. Obviously doc has that, that NHL experience under his belt. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, obviously has learned from Jonathan Taves, uh, having been in the same dressing room, been in the same, uh, on the, on the same ice learning from, you know, captain Sirius. um, and, and and Taves was a guy that also wore the C for uh, for Canada at one point. So um, I think this is this is a great opportunity for Dak to to really be a part of something special here. And like like we mentioned, if it, if everything runs smoothly, uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for him uh, to to captain what looks to be a, a pretty phenomenal team on paper. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that you know he was going to be the captain. I mean, we looked at, you take a look at what Baron Hayton did last year, being a returning or being a returning player from the world juniors before, but also getting that NHL experience when Arizona lent him to the uh, tournament or the camp. Um, He was named the captain because of that. And you really can't go wrong with this leadership group. Even, I mean, Bowen Byram and Dylan cousins getting an A Um, there's, there's, if you wanted if you already had the skill, you already got that with this team. You wanted the best leadership that you can have with this team. You already got it. And I talked with uh, uh, Samuel Terpak um, from Dava Prospects on there uh, when this was announced. Um, he mentioned that Peyton Krebs could have been somebody else to take the A or get a letter. And I totally agree with him that, you know, if if I had the chance to give a third letter, I would give it to Peyton Krebs, considering his international experience as well. So can't say anything bad about this. This is like, this is, this is, this is the guy. I mean, I don't, I mean, if there wasn't Kirby doc, it it probably would have come down to Bowen Bimer, Dylan cousins. 
But considering his, again, his experience, the fact that, you know, he is a guy who leads by examples and he learned, as you mentioned, he learned well under Jonathan Taze. This is somebody who's meaning business right now. And with his play and his ability to lead on the ice and off the ice, Canada's in a great spot now. And you need that vocal presence to help a team in a need where, you know, things aren't going right for them. He's the guy to take over. And again, you can't say anything bad about that. No, absolutely not. And uh, I think it's, like I said, it's a great opportunity for him. Um, Obviously, you know, um, you know, we're going to be siding with Canada and we'll be, we'll be siding with doc. And, and this, like I said, this is a, this is a great, uh, great opportunity for him. So we'll see what he's able to do with that, uh, that talented roster. Um, speaking of world junior players and, and former heroes for Canada, um, something worth noting, Akil Thomas, uh, you know, you just love to see this kind of stuff, but Akil Thomas is already making headlines um, hasn't, hasn't even cracked an NHL roster and him, his mother and him, um, are raising money for kids in Ghana to have their first Christmas experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I note these little stories because I think it's just so, so great for, for players to do such, you know, amazing things. And obviously, you know, you know, something like this for a guy who's not even, not even cracking an NHL roster to, to, to be able to, to get his name out there and, and be, you know, somebody that can, uh, you know, kind of drive, drive this donate these donations in such a tough time as well is is uh, you know worth worth noting. So you know that's that's awesome news uh, to hear from Akil Thomas and and you know obviously you know anything that can help uh, these days is, is is great to see. So um, worth noting that one as well as I wanted to also note that Zade Wisdom is also donating donating five thousand dollars to the Salvation Army in Toronto, his Toronto neighborhood of Weston. So mm-hmm. again, just you know, um, obviously it's been a tough year for a lot of people, and uh, you know Zade Wisdom just signed his entry level contract, uh, you know, a couple months ago, and for him to be able to, you know, even just donate five grand is it goes a long way. It makes a difference. And, um, you know, I know it's going to go, it's going to be much appreciated in, in his neighborhood of Weston. So, yeah, I mean, to, it's a season of giving right now. It's a season of helping out and helping those unfortunate and great on them for, you know, uh, going above and beyond to give, you know, people some hope, especially the, again, especially this year, you know, I mean, this year shouldn't just be the exemption. It should be every single year that you try your best to try and help everybody out as best as possible. And if you haven't seen that documentary on say wisdom on TSN, I, you should, um, it's, it's nothing given. Uh, it's really emotional how his journey to get to this point right now. So if you, once you understand his neighborhood, and what he went through, this donation would really, it, it sums everything up right now. So, again, congr- uh, big, you know, a hat, round of applause for them for, you know, doing something great during the holiday season. Because, you know, again, we need some positivity right now. And, they, and they're trying to shed some light on this right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talk about positivity. We talk about, you know, players you know, making their comebacks and being a huge part of uh, of the game of hockey. And guess who's back? Back again. Yarmer Yager's back at 48 years old, going for I believe it's his 30 something 
season of pro hockey, um, man, just unbelievable. This It's like this guy just doesn't stop. Ah, recorded a hit and assist in his return to the Cloudnode lineup, too. So, he still has hockey left, man. I mean, like, I remember, I, I, I'm just going to go back and tell a story, or tell the story of, like, me watching Yarmir Yager as a kid. I remember just, obviously, you know, with the pronunciation as a kid, I call, I, I was calling him Jeremy Jagger. Because, you know, as a kid, you don't know the pronunciations, everything as well. Um, you just see a name and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind as like a five, six year old. So my parent or my dad was trying to tell me, no, it's Yaramir Yager. And I kept the like just doing my own thing. I'm a kid. Right. But grow like watching him play the game, watching that flow, just that mullet just fly in the wind. You can't be in shock and awe what he did, uh, what he's done. And just to see that progression just get better and better and better until like maybe the last few years, maybe age was catching up. But for the mid thousands where, you know, 20, uh, 2005, where he was one of the leading point getters, you can't help but uh, see that, you know, he could have been higher up in like the total, uh, you know, points category, or he would be higher up because of the fact that if he didn't miss those three years, he could have been setting even more records. And, I mean, fantastic career. 1,900 points, 1,100 assists, 766 goals, 1,155 to be exact for assists. It's just, man, he was something special, and he still is right now. And I just, you want to see this, you want to see him go. You want to see him play even more. You want to see that 34th, that 35th, that 36th season right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I'm sure like people have talked about it for years, like to see he was so hard to get off the puck. And even when he came back to the NHL and wasn't the quickest player, Mm -hmm. the puck battles that he would win simply because his legs are absolute tree trunks, absolute tree trunks. Like these things are so thick, so hard to knock off the puck. Um, like it, it just makes sense that he, he would continue playing until he, he, you know, he can't anymore. And I'll tell you a quick story about Yager. Um, I remember going to the uh, the NHL All Star game in Nashville, and he was in the dressing room. And man, he like he's such a gamer. Even in the room, like you know, media were trying to go up to him and ask questions, and he's just he wanted to make sure that he was focused on on getting the job done in the mini games, and just uh, you know, he he was just so focused on the game. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't want to talk much which I get after being, you know, a pro for as many years as he has, you know, you don't really don't owe anybody anything at that point, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, just an exciting player when he was in his prime and to see him still kicking around, still, you know, playing, playing games and, and being productive. Um, man, this guy, this guy's an absolute legend. The three years that he missed 53, Points with Ansk Avangard, Ansk Avangard, 42-51. That's over 100 points. If he would have got those 100 points, if he would have got those numbers in the NHL, he would have been over 2,000 points. That would have been something. Yeah, just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, even uh, even in 2012-2013, uh, I assume that was a year of like a mini, the 
the second lockdown or like shortened season because he put up 57 points there. Full year, if he was with the Dallas Stars then, you know, that probably would have been something even like even more phenomenal. Yeah. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about 2012-2013 about the lockdown. I, I'm yeah, I, I, I'm just going to stop talking right now. <laughs> But can you imagine though, like if he had stuck in the NHL, like it just, I mean, it's an, it's another Kovalchuk like thing here where, you know, these guys could have been so productive. Uh, like you said, jumped up the, the, the board in all time points. And um, man, just like I said, just good to see him kicking around still. Yeah. So um, I was right about 2012, 2013, there was that shortened lockout year where he had, where he played with Dallas and then he went to the Boston Bruins. So. Yeah, so there that that was a lockout shortened season. Did my little yeah. little fact check right there for the day. There you go. There you go. No corrections next episode. Yes. Um <laughs> I we we we'll jump over to the WHL real quick. Uh their season has been postponed um as they continue to try and figure out what's going to happen with this whole COVID stuff. Um obviously, you know, they're thinking player safety. Um you know, they haven't fully canceled per se, but they have postponed until further notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would doubt that they're going to be back in before 21-22 kicks off. Um, that said, you know, obviously it's a it's a tough, tough, uh, you know, kind of shot to the ribs for the for players that are, uh, you know, looking to try and make a name for themselves. Obviously, draft eligibles, you know, it's something that they uh, they're not too pleased to see but uh you know we have to think about player safety first staff safety first um and that's that's what it's come down to for the whl yeah and as we were talking about at the top of the show bc you know being reluctant to let the nhl play they're you know probably still in talks with you know the whl and their concerns about that as well so it's not just the nhl they're also you know in talks about their concerns with the the junior players as well and yeah, the. I mean, nothing new that we're gonna say. It's just health and safety first. You know, it's 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 really sad to see that. You know, I mean, even in Ontario's case, where we still don't know about an OHL season, um, you know, these are the only two leagues right now where players aren't playing games, and they're probably gonna miss out of you know their development. And it's really difficult because they've worked so hard to get to this point and it just got derailed because of a, because of the pandemic. And no, no matter what, I know you're, everybody's probably sick and talk about uh, of us talking about the pandemic, but hey, it's in sports. It's in everything we do right now. And the fact that the government is still trying to look in the best interest of them, it's it's still it's it's the right thing to do. Simple as that. Yeah, 100 percent. And uh before we throw it over to Maple Leafs talk, I just want to get two more stories out here. Both kind of interesting, um, yeah, interesting stories. Just everything surrounding them just, you know, makes you question a lot of things. But um, uh, Bjork Lovin uh, in uh, the Swedish league, they were accused of throwing a match, throwing a game um, earlier this week. And there was a massive investigation about you know whether their players gave up, uh, gave up the goals on purpose and, and and lost on purpose. They were leading the game at one point earlier in the game and and just simply fell apart. Um, they've since been 
uh, cleared of all those accusations. Um, that said, it's just like you don't see this uh, anymore. Obviously, you know, we talked in, in one of the early episodes about, you know, a guy like Pete Rose who bet on games. And, and there was just some abnormalities in the betting system um, regarding this game. Uh, and it was discovered that it's just an anomaly in the, in the actual betting system itself, rather than the the game being thrown. Um, but man, just such a weird story coming out of Sweden, especially with everything going on right now. Um, that this was even something that had to be reviewed. Yeah, National uh, Predators goaltender uh, Connor Ingram was in that in that eight to four loss, um, and then lost. I mean, it was three nothing at first, and then they lost eight four. So, I mean, I don't know too much about the whole, you know, gambling or like betting side of things like that. I'm not into that, but it 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 did look very. I don't know if you played Among Us, but that looked very sus. It was very suspicious, considering that you know, it everything's kind of lined up or whatever. I don't. I, I again. I don't. I'm not too much on the betting side of things, so I'm not going to say that much. But it was a very interesting story to say the least. Like you never see this in sports, and I don't think you've ever seen this in sports since like again, like you mentioned, since like the Pete Rose days. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm, I mean, we've seen like not necessarily match fixing, but we've seen teams throw a season away to try and get that first round pick, but this is next level stuff, man. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, no, it just, it, I just found it like such an interesting story coming out of Sweden and it's like, um, obviously I, I stayed close to it cause I wanted to know what was going on, but like you mentioned, you know, a guy like, uh, Nashville's, uh, Ingram in net and, um, you know, it's just it's one of those stories that you you don't see often, and obviously you want to keep an eye on it uh, as it as you move forward. But yeah, another one that uh, came out of closer to home, um, Brantford, uh, Ontario. Here, um, a whole bunch of Gretzky memorabilia was stolen from Walter Gretzky's home, um, and, and I don't know how how closely you follow this story, uh, Peter, but um, obviously you know. It, it's come out that it was a veteran OPP officer involved in the theft. Um, she was already on uh, on leave for a, a separate incident. Um, and, and then a 56-year-old Oakville man um, that uh, was also charged. And, and they're saying there are going to be more charges. They're still trying to figure everything out. But what the hell is the problem with these people? <laughs> are you kidding me? An, OP, an OPP officer known to the Gretzky family and you're, you're stealing memorabilia and trying to sell it. You don't think that it's going to get figured out. Yeah. You don't think that somebody's going to rat you out that the fact that you're, you're, you're selling Gretzky memorabilia. Are you kidding me? Again? I just, I, I, my (laughs) mind is blown. My mind is absolutely blown. Two very odd, I mean, that uh, the Bjorkloven um, match fixing was very odd. This is just very odd in itself as well. I mean, $635,000 to be worth of merchandise were reported missing from the home. And yeah, I mean, what are you thinking? Like, you're talking about the great one. All right. Imagine if like 
I don't know, I'm just going to throw out, throw this out there. Like, uh, you've seen Space Jam, right? Yeah, oh yeah. Imagine Michael Jordan losing his favorite sneakers, his lucky shorts, his jersey, anything that he's won in his career. You don't think people are going to take notice and find something very fishy or suspicious about this? Like, it's it's just uncanny. Like, you, like obviously, you know... Obviously, who would have want memorabilia of game-worn jerseys worn by Wayne Gretzky? His, like, you know, his hockey pants, gloves, whatever. It's great stuff to have, but let's face it. That stuff ain't for sale. I mean, it's... it's, Yeah, like you, I, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm at, like, I'm trying hard to, like, wrap my head around it. Like, it, I want to know why. I mean, I think we all know why, but it's, it, it's so odd and bizarre. I mean, it's it's just so crazy. But you're gonna like my my question is for especially for like an OPP officer, you're gonna throw away your entire career career for to, memorabilia for memorabilia. Like after you've been you know a veteran officer for for how many years? Like you're just gonna it just I I'm starting to wonder if this whole pandemic is making people go crazy, like do things that are out of character. <laughs> Because it, at this point, like, that to me doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, you just said it best. I mean, again, if you need any more convincing that 2020 is an odd year, look at these two stories right now. <laughs> Simple Absolutely. Simple just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if you want more information on that one, definitely, like, read some of the stories because it's just, it, like, it'll blow your mind. It'll absolutely blow your mind um but uh yeah i'm sure there's more to come on that story obviously we'll keep you updated as it progresses but um yeah if there's a why um and for some odd reason this this opp officer sitting at home right now on leave you know listening to what's going on um please please just share with everybody what the hell you were thinking yeah because like (laughs) i just don't understand i just don't understand it um but uh forget all that let's let's jump over to maple leafs talk let's get off these crazy stories um yeah get the you, stuff you that matters brought, yeah yeah the stuff that <laughs> matters especially going into the season um obviously you know you brought up an article written by uh cbc's josh clipperton um marner looking to be more of a goal scorer um 291 career points 203 i believe of those are assists um yeah, sorry, 208 of those are assists in 300 regular season NHL games. 23 years old. This kid still has so much, ta- or yeah, so much talent ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so much hockey ahead of him. Um, this is a guy who wants to shoot more. And I think you and I discussed this really early in this podcast. Yeah. Is that you know Marner's got to figure out a way to get pucks on net because he has a deceivingly good <clears throat> shot. Yeah. Um, and he finds a way to get into those crazy areas and then he passes it off. And, yeah. and and at certain points, he's got to focus on getting that shot off. And, you know, this could be a guy who could go out there and probably score 30 goals in a season and, mm-hmm. and still have his 60 assists. You're talking about a possible possible 90 point guy, 100 point guy. Um, but he's got he's got to figure out a way to shoot more. And I think that's that's something that obviously you and I have mentioned I think a lot of people are frustrated when it comes to his game on what he what he brings to the table sometimes because he is very like let's be honest his passes are just nasty sometimes absolutely like just, 
absolutely nasty backhanded no look passes like just ridiculous but at a certain point he needs to start putting the puck on the net and and i think thing good things will happen for him if he starts to do that yeah i mean i i I felt like we needed to share this because this was a really great piece by josh from the canadian press and the fact that you know mitch marner has fully come out and said that you know he needs to shoot the puck more that's accountability and what was the one thing that, you know, Dubas wanted this year? Accountability, you know, wanting to do more to try and better the team. I mean, again, you could point to the contract, whatever, that's in the past, whether it's warranted or not. He was on pace, I believe, for like 90 points if, you know, 80, 90 points if he didn't get injured this year plus the pandemic. I mean, I'm just going to like 16 goals this year. He could have reached 20 goals. Lowest output since his rookie year where he scored 19. Um, it's 154 shots. Lowest total since his rookie year as well. So you know that because he's coming out and saying that, you know, he needs to shoot the puck more. I'm pretty sure he understands that, you know, more is being asked of him to. I mean, we know he's a phenomenal playmaker. Great. But at the same point, you're going to have to start shooting that puck because it's great you want to set it up, but you need to do more to be successful. And I mentioned, yeah, he had 154 shots, 176 lowest total or second lowest or or no, not second lowest, his lowest total since his rookie year where he had 176, 194, 233 is what stands out. And that was last year. And that was the year where, you know, Austin Matthews was out. He had John Tavares on his wing and he was, you know, making things happen. And he almost scored 30 goals last year. That year is the Mitch Marner that we should see. Because now that even uh, in the article, uh, Josh mentioned that 11 playoff games without a goal. And he's working to do and he's working on doing more to get shots off. It's like on different areas of the ice and more so in front of the net. And. We all saw how that worked out well for William Nylander this year. Everyone was talking about, oh, you know, he needs to get more into the dirty areas, go in front of the net for those greasy goals, those easy tap-ins. That worked out for Nylander, and he got 30 goals this year. And I'm just going to throw out a couple of stats right now from uh, Evolving Hockey. Goals for percentage, so the amount of goals for that the, that the team scored when he is on the ice. 48.72% for Mitch Marner. Cody CC had a better one at him at 49.05. His expected goals for, or his goal plus minus, his goal differential, minus 2.21. Cody CC was 13th at minus 1.35. Mitch Marner definitely needs to do more in terms of like being involved in getting or being on the, or just more so being more involved with the play of generating scoring chances and, uh, you know, rebounds and everything like that, because he can set up all the plays that he wants, but you know what gets you, I mean, we always say assist matters, but goals are what wins the game, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. And and just kind of going off your point, I like don't don't take this as me hating on Mitch Marner. I love Mitch Marner. I think he's a great, Absolutely. phenomenal player, really talented. 
But at a certain point, you can say it as much as you want. We have to see the product on the ice. Um, mm-hmm. And this is something that's kind of followed him around since junior. Um, he, yeah, he, like I said, he's been an assist machine, and it's great. You can't have you can't have goals without getting the puck to your goal yeah. scorers. That said, this is a guy who's got the talent to be a goal scorer. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to be. You have to be dynamic in both aspects of the game, um, and, and I think he's got that. He's just got to actually put pen to paper and start, you know, getting the job done. Yeah, uh, and that's what it comes down to. And I think, you know, this this season will be a, a telltale sign of what to expect from him. I think it's frustrating for Leafs fans when they see him play the way he plays because he's like, uh, I I don't know if you'll remember this, but Th- Thomas Caberlet on the power play always 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 yep. had an open lane to shoot the puck mm-hmm. because they knew he wasn't going to shoot they knew he wasn't going to shoot yep and it's the same thing with marner they people know that he's a pass first player yeah so when they see him in tight there's no expectation of him to shoot he's going to look for the guy with the open net to to, to fire the puck home but all it, it almost seems he tries to make that one extra pass too many times and you know, then the pucks turn back the other way. If you're not frustrated by the what Tom, okay, love Thomas Caberlet. I mean, who doesn't? But if you're not frustrated when you just mentioned that he does that extra pass when he should have shot, if that doesn't frustrate you, it should because even like when I'm coaching and my kids are like, or my kids they were like passing nonstop and they have an opportunity to shoot, I'm like shoot, 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 and then they're still trying to do those fancy plays and stuff like that. It both as a fan, as a coach, as a writer, it does frustrate you a little bit because I mean, I'm not trying to say like, you know, this is how you should play the game because, you know, I'm not in the NHL. But, you know, you get those prime opportunities. Take that chance. Don't worry about passing. If you got a scoring, if you got a scoring chance or a good opportunity for a goal, don't hesitate. Never go with your your second thought just get it on net anything can happen and i saw and we all know what happened this year in the game where toronto came back 3-1 to win in overtime in the playing round all the shots were on net good things will happen even if even if it's not a good shot just get it on net simple as that yeah 100 percent. and um you know, one player that uh, before we get into our our, our interview here, uh, the one player that uh, has been really lighting it up in terms of, you know, Maple Leafs prospects, um, VD Mietnin, um with Saint Saint Cloud State University in the NCAA, eight games played, three goals, four assists for seven points. This kid could have been a winger for the uh, for for the Finnish uh, World Junior Team. Um, unfortunately logistics just didn't work out that way, but man, I wouldn't let him go. I wouldn't let him go. If I'm saying cloud right now, I want to see what this kid has to offer. He's nearly a point per game right now at the NCAA level. Um, from a Leafs fans perspective, I think this is a great opportunity to see this kid grow. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he's got to offer. We could talk about how much we love, excuse me, um, Rody Namirov, Nick Robertson. Rasmus Sandin, even Dmitry of of Chinnikov is gaining a lot of attention right now. I remember, well, when we were talking to Ryan Kennedy a few weeks ago, we asked about like certain prospects 
He mentioned VT Mietnin. So, again, Ryan knows what he's talking about. So the fact that like he mentioned him as sort of that like underrated like value for a, a least prospect, he really liked that pick, and we're seeing why. That I mean, I agree with you. I think maybe he could have gone to the uh, World Juniors, but again, I'm thinking maybe they wanted it's kind of like an Owen Power situation. I think they wanted to try and keep him here, let him let his game develop instead of an, instead of having to go quarantine, come back quarantine, and lose more game time. So I kind of understand that. But you just look at his numbers. Um, in 2016-17, Blues U18, 52 points. Blues U20, 24 points. Blues U20 again in 2018-19, 61 points. 73 last year in the Junior ASM Liga. He's a, he's, he's a really good uh, goal scorer. He's got a great release, and he's got a real knack of, like, you know, using his body in the offensive zone to, like, you know, continuing moving his feet small body but you know knows how to position himself very well he's very flashy i'm really excited with this pick i i again you talk about hidden drafts two of the least hidden drafts right now in this draft are of chinnikov and mietman so we got so never discount what we have in like later rounds as like sixth or seventh round picks they can be something valuable Never underestimate them. And he yeah. was someone he was someone that should have been maybe a little bit higher up too. Maybe second, third, as low as a fourth round draft pick. They got him in the sixth. So good job on the scouting department right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, you know, obviously we've talked about it. The Leafs have a great pipeline. Um a guy like Mietnin, uh you know, it, it, very excited to see what he has to offer. And that's why I, I kind of like that he stayed at St. Cloud and, and didn't head to the World Juniors. Obviously, you know, you're you're on a different level at the World Juniors. But, you know, this gives him an opportunity to kind of stay with the flow and, and stay at the at the NCAA level and see what he can do at that level. Um, I think that's a major part for his development. And, and like I said, you know, obviously we'll keep you updated on him. But, uh, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um uh, going going forward, a, had a bit of a slow start to start, you know, his you know NCAA, but he's picked it up. So you could tell the transition's going pretty well right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you know what? Let's uh, let's send it over to our interview. Um, yeah. We have a former OHL player, uh, kind of bounced around leagues. Uh, was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens at one point, um, 44th overall in 1992. But uh, yeah, let's throw it over to Kelly Corpse. I'm pleased to welcome former OHL player and uh, kind of played everywhere there, Kelly. Uh, Kelly Corpse to the show. Kelly, welcome and thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, fellas. Uh, I guess we'll start off with uh, obviously your o- OHL career. Um, you know, you played five seasons, uh, parts of five seasons with the uh, Kingston Frontenacs. Um, you know, what was it like uh, in in the early '90s in the OHL? It was different hockey, that's for sure. Um, I came out of Junior B out of London and uh, um, went to Kingston. They didn't have a very good team the year before the. Uh, uh, they won the division, and they had a bunch of older guys. So when I went in there, it was uh, not the greatest leadership group, and uh, we kind of struggled. Um, 
I know the league is a lot different, uh, a lot of clutching and grabbing back then. I was only about 160 pounds and, uh, you know, I'm playing against guys like Darian Hatcher who, you know, are six foot five, six foot six, 240 and just manhandling you. But uh, it was, uh, you know, I loved hockey, so it was the next step. Kelly, I did some research, and you ranked sixth on the all-time OHL scoring leaders, according to Quant Hockey, uh, behind uh, John Tavares. Um, how does it feel to be in, uh, can, in on that list and to be on that list with a uh, bunch of like uh, OHL goal scorers that have uh, gone on to have success in the NHL right now? That's kind of weird, actually. It's uh, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, I know my son about a month ago said to me, he goes, hey, Dad, you know, you're sitting like six on OHL scoring. And I was like, I had no idea. I knew I had a lot of points, but uh, I had no idea that I was that high. So uh, it's pretty neat seeing some of the names, like uh, some of the guys I played with and uh, played against and guys that I've watched. Uh, um, I guess it's pretty cool. I mean, you played with guys like, you know, David Lane, Craig Reve, Chad Kilger. Um, what kind of teammates stood out to you? Um, obviously, being one, you know, in, in your five years, you you were top five on the team in scoring. Um, you know, what kind of what kind of uh, teammates were were you playing with uh, at that time? And did any of them really stand out to you in terms of you know being you know guys that would make it to that next level? Uh, that's funny. You know, you play with a lot of guys, and you don't really think about it's. It's weird uh, when you're in the situation. You don't think about the NHL too much, but. Uh, um, yeah, there's definitely certain guys that stood out, uh, you know, Craig Rive, who uh, had a real good NHL career, um, was a real skilled defenseman actually in junior. I think he put up 70-odd uh, points one year. Um, but, you know, when he went to the American League in the NHL, um, he had to change his game quite a bit, and uh, he started fighting and was a, kind of a rugged defenseman, and uh, that's how he made his mark in the NHL. Um, you know, my line mates in junior were, were pretty solid. I had uh, a guy named Steve Parson, who's uh, from around the Kitchener area. Um, he started off in Owen Sound and really wasn't putting up any numbers in that. But uh, once he came to us, um, he just kind of flourished. And then, obviously, my other ling uh, line mate was David Ling, who was, uh, I don't know, probably the biggest pest in hockey. You know, busted everybody's balls, basically, on the ice and was able to put up some goals, too. But a uh, real solid player. Um, you know, we had Chris Gratton as well, who was a, uh, top three draft pick in the NHL, who was, uh, uh, just a good two way forward, big body. Um, but we had lots of guys like we had, we had a pretty unique team. We had a, a coach came on Dave Allison who kind of changed the mindset and, uh, uh, we kind of modeled ourselves after uh, the old Boston Bruins. I think we had, I want to say five guys over 200 penalty minutes and, uh, pretty tough team so it was easy for a guy like me to play out there knowing that I was protected. Kelly, you played across, uh, Andrew mentioned off uh, at the top of the interview, multiple leagues at the pro level, AHL, ECHL, Italy, Germany. Um, take us, like, what, what did it feel like to go to so many great places and play uh, in all these leagues? You know what, it's nothing I really uh, thought about when I was playing. Um, my goal was obviously to go from the OHL to the NHL, and uh, I was lucky enough to get drafted. And uh, um, just didn't work out with Montreal at all. And uh, so after that, it was literally trying to find a spot that uh, was able to give me the most money at the time because I knew I wasn't going to get back to the NHL or have the opportunity to do so. So um, the experience in Europe was second to none. The way they do things over there is... Uh, 
um, a lot different than we do it in North America. Their, uh, their lifestyle and the way they do things is uh, quite unique. What uh, what kind of brought you back from there? Because obviously you played uh, between the two leagues in Europe uh, during the 97-98 season. Then you jumped back to North America. Was it just the opportunity or, or um, was it more you want to just come back home and, and get a chance to play back here? A couple different reasons, actually. I, uh, that summer when I came back, I actually met my future wife. And uh, um, I was just skating up in Buffalo one time and uh, this this guy from Pensacola came up to me and he says, Hey, we'd like you to come down to Pensacola. And they offered quite a bit of money to go down there. And, uh, they also offered me, uh, the player assistant coach job, which I was thinking about getting into coaching. So I thought that would be a good opportunity. Uh, Kelly, you also have a hockey camp, uh, Kelly Corp's intense hockey. Um, how is that going? And what's the main thing that you want to try and teach your kids or the, the main takeaway from when they uh, joined your camp? I guess our camp's a little different. We've we've run it for a bunch of years. We had a couple year layoff just uh, uh, for my son was playing summer hockey and that, and I just didn't really have time to run it. So um, basically, what I teach here is I, I try to teach the kids uh, some of the fine finer things of hockey. I know a lot of these camps specialize in skating and stick handling, which I think is great for the game. But I think if you go to the rink a lot, there's, you know, you can go to the rink and pick out two or three players that you know that are good players and have the knowledge of the game. My, my key at my camps is to teach the kids some of the little things in hockey, not necessarily the skating, the stick handling, but, you know, where you're supposed to go, um, how you're supposed to get there, and uh, basically hard work. You mentioned uh, being drafted by Montreal, second round, 44th overall in 92. Um, aside from it not eventually working out um what was it like in that moment to to hear your name and, and you know be a part of a, such a storied organization you know what it was mixed emotions at the draft to be honest i was uh i had a bunch of meetings uh before the draft and had a couple teams actually promise that if i was left in the first round they were going to take me in the first round so um when i got picked by montreal obviously i was extremely happy um to be drafted um but montreal was the team i hated the most in the nhl as a leaf fan growing up so it was kind of mixed emotions that way um but you know i got to play in the old forum for training camp play against great players like patrick waugh and you know kirk muller denny savard and so that was kind of a, a pretty good experience uh to be honest it wasn't a great relationship between me and uh habs management and uh so it was kind of mixed emotions Kelly, you mentioned just right now, sort of like, you know, things didn't quite work out with Montreal. Are, um, are, would you like to go into like a little bit more detail as to like, uh, like the disconnect between yourself or the organization? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story. I mean, um, you know, I don't want to sound like I have sour grapes because I've kind of moved on, but same token, it all started from when I signed. Um, I know, I remember going to meet with my agent who was a, a prominent agent, Don Meehan. And uh, my family and I sat down and uh, we're discussing contracts. And uh, uh, he goes, you know what, we're going to ask for a $140,000 sign and bonus, not a dollar less. And I said, hey, I just want to play hockey. That sounds great. So he calls me about a month later and he goes, hey, we got your contract done. We got you $115,000 sign and bonus. I said, that's great. But I said, I thought you said we weren't going any lower than 140. And uh, he says, well, I never said that. So I was like, well, you're lying to me now. 
you're probably going to lie to me in the future. So I ended up dumping him. But needless to say, he had a really good relationship with Montreal's GM, Serge Savard, at the time. Um, so I ended up getting another agent, signing a contract for $175,000 signing bonus, and uh, went to camp. But it seemed to have ruffled some feathers. So, for example, I played a game in Belleville one night, and uh, I think we won 4-3. I had two goals and two assists. Uh, I was pretty good on... Uh, on uh, the face-off dot so Montreal had four scouts there so after the game I meet with two scouts they're like you know what you had a great game you're very good defensively offensively you're doing everything right you're great in the face-off dot two minutes later I met with the other two scouts and they told me the exact opposite you're not great offensively you're bad in your own zone you're bad on the draws um, so there was kind of a disconnect between the scouts there were some scouts that absolutely loved me and there were some scouts that wanted nothing to do with me so i guess i found out later in life when i was working i met uh, guy lapointe at a at a restaurant and uh, he talked to me and he told me there was no chance you were ever going to play for montreal uh, there's a couple higher up guys that were going to have nothing to do with you playing there so um you know it was it was kind of hard because it kind of blackballed me in a sense but uh um you know, it is what it is. That's hockey. I mean, people think once you get drafted, if you're good enough, you're going to play, and that's not always the case. I've seen a lot of players throw through the cracks that way. So, In 94-95, you played for the Canadian national team. Um, what was it like, you know, wearing that crest and, and being a part of, obviously, you know, playing for your country? That was pretty cool. Um, I mean, I was 19 at the time. I had a chance to go back to junior or uh, – um, Montreal really wanted me to go play for the national team. So I went to the national team and, uh, I was obviously the youngest kid on the team. And, uh, so I was kind of relegated to the third or fourth line. The way, uh, Tom Rennie, the coach ran things was veterans played more and, um, you kind of had to do your thing, but, uh, I changed my role there. I became a check and forward and, uh, uh, really liked it. I mean, I had some you know, at that time, that was the NHL lockout, so Glenn Anderson actually came down and played with us and uh, got to hang out with him and see what being a pro was like, and uh, just an awesome dude. It was a great experience. Kelly, the game has changed quite a bit over the years. It's gone from a more physical game to more a game that's, like, played with speed and skill. Um, what are some other things that you uh, have seen that are different compared to when you played? The, ski, the, the speed and skill right now is, is unbelievable. I don't know how these kids are getting faster and faster every year. It's uh, Obviously, with the training that they have is, I think, probably the, the main thing that's changed. I know when we were um, growing up, we didn't have personal trainers. We really didn't have any outlets where there was uh, um, extra ice for, for skating, edge work, stick handling. Um, basically, it was like the old Mandelbaum training you here's your membership, go to the gym and, uh, you know, go and try to put some size on. Uh, now I find even with my son, who's 19 playing in the Alberta junior league, um, they're super strong. They've got lean muscle and, uh, they're just quicker, quicker to the puck and that I'm not sure a lot of these guys, to be honest, though, could handle, I won't say handle, but they wouldn't be able to show their skill level as much as they could back in our day. Um, I know the clutching and grabbing with the guys like, I know our average weight on our team in junior was probably 205 pounds, where I bet you the average weight on an OHL team now is probably 185 pounds. And 20 pounds of clutching and grabbing obviously would make a lot of difference. 
Kelly, you played uh, in so many cities, you know, across your career. Was there one place that really stood out to you as as maybe uh, I, I, an maybe an unknown hockey city in a sense? Yeah, I think uh, the best minor pro hockey city is uh, definitely Fort Wayne. Um, I know when I played there, um, they were in the United Hockey League, I believe. Now they're in the AHL, but. Uh, um, they had about an 8,000 seat arena, pack it every night, and uh, you wouldn't think that there would be uh, that much interest in hockey in the Midwest. And, uh, um, you know, the, just the support there. They've had a team there for, I want to say, 70 years, and uh, it was just an unreal atmosphere. Kelly, if you had any advice to, you know, players that like, are going going through like the draft right now i know it's we're in a very difficult time right now if you could give the draft eligible players what advice um what's the one thing that you would give them you know what it's kind of a double-edged sword i i know there's things that i would have changed going into the draft but uh um you know you just got to work hard and i mean it's a tough situation for kids nowadays too because um not all parents have a ton of money and it seems like the people with money are able to get these kids extra help, extra ice. Um, for the kids that don't have that, I would just tell them to keep working hard and keep plugging away, find other ways to, to make yourself better. Um, you know, and don't be afraid to speak your mind. I mean, I think you guys are used to probably these interviews too, where everybody gives the appropriate answer cause they don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I think that some of these players got to be able to not stick up for themselves, but be able to communicate and get what's on their chest. I think a lot of kids go into situations or get put in situations because they're not able to speak their mind. They're either listening to their parents way too much or they're listening to an advisor or an agent and uh, might not be the best situation for them. Kelly, um, you know, any... Any good stories from the road? Obviously, you know, you had a lot of time on, on the road and, uh, you know, overseas. Any any good stories, you know, from, from you know, dressing room tales to, to you know, anything that happened on the ice that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, any bridges burned, I guess, on the ice against uh, opponents? Uh, I got a, a couple good stories from Montreal, I guess. Uh, I was in my first training camp and uh, – um, I guess there was a, a conflict between Matthew Schneider, who I think works for the PHPA now, and, and Patrick Waugh. I don't think they liked each other very much at camp. So um, I remember one day we were we were playing, and uh, so in it's a two-hour inter-squad game, and after the first hour they would uh, flood the ice. So we're sitting on the bench, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to Craig Reeve. I'm like, "Hey, Patrick Waugh is going at." I said, "If I score on him today, I said I'm going to pick up the puck and I'm I'm leaving training camp." Well, Matthew Schneider was sitting a couple guys away from me, and he heard this. And uh, so, sure as shit, don't I get a breakaway on Wah with, uh, with about a minute into the next the next hour? And uh, so I go down on Wah. I score on him low blocker. I put my head down because you don't want to celebrate because you scored on Wah. So I skate back to the bench, and I sit on the bench. And inside, I'm super excited, but I'm, I'm showing zero emotion. Well, in the meantime, Matthew Schneider's gone into the net, and he's picked out the puck, and he skates by the bench, and he goes, hey, Corpsey, here's the puck. Now you can go home. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, talking about Matthew Schreiner, though, he's probably 
the best vet that I've ever met in my life. I, uh, I know when we were in Montreal, we had to go down uh, in the summertime for a pre-camp. And uh, so we're in the dressing room. There's a couple of NHL guys that are on the ice with us. And uh, so Schneider comes into the dressing room with all the rookies and he comes up to me. I don't know how he knew me. And he's like, hey, Corpse, he goes, I'll pick you and the guys up tonight from the hotel and I'll take you guys out for dinner. So we're like, all right, that sounds great. So in the afternoon, we go out for lunch, and uh, we're wheeling around. So we go back to the hotel to get ready for Schneider to pick us up, and uh, um, we get to the hotel. There's a note on the door, and it says, hey, sorry, boys, can't take you out tonight, other arrangements. So we're kind of like, yeah, you know what? He was just putting on a show in the dressing room. So I go into the bathroom. I'm having a leak, and uh, for some reason, I pulled back the shower curtain, and the bathtub was filled with ice, and about four cases of beer. And uh, there's another note that said, hey, boys, sorry again, I couldn't make it. You know, have a good time tonight on me. He goes, make sure you're up in the morning at 7 in the morning. My dad's going to pick you up, and he's going to take you to the Sherwood factory so you guys get your pattern sticks. So I thought that was really classy. He's a, a guy that took care of the young guys, and uh, just uh, that's what guys should be like. You know, they've got life made in the NHL, and uh, take care of the younger guys the way they need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I do have to ask. Uh, you mentioned Patrick Waugh. What was it like uh, being on the ice with a with a guy like that? You know, you hear mixed stories about what he's like as as a maybe person or coach. But uh, for for you to share the same ice with him, what was that like? You know what, dude? I have nothing bad to say about that guy. Like you hear all the stories going in on that he could be kind of a fucking dick. Um, but uh, I remember we'd have two hour skates. Um, and uh, the PA had a, a limitation on guys to skate for two hours. Once they hit the two hours, the coaches were supposed to release all the guys. So I remember Jacques Demers was doing wind sprints with us. And so it was about a minute and 57 into, into the two-hour limit. And uh, so he's bag skating us up and down the ice. As soon as that clock hit two hours, I bet you 90% of the NHL guys just skated right off the ice while us young guys skated. So we finished that. And... Uh, so we stayed on the ice for probably another 40 minutes just goofing around. We're in the old forum, so we're like, this is fucking awesome, you know? And uh, sure as shit, Patrick Waugh stayed out on the ice probably for another hour and a half and worked on his game. So anything anybody wants to say about that guy, maybe personally he's a dick. I don't know. I didn't really get to talk to him, but his work ethic was second to none, and there's a reason why he's probably the best goalie to ever play the game. No, for sure, and, and and like that's why you asked the question, right? Obviously, you hear you hear things, and uh, you know that's uh, that's pretty crazy that uh, you you had the opportunity to do that, um, Kelly. Uh, I think that's all we have for now. Obviously, we'd love to get you back on the show at some point. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about uh, training camp and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Best of luck with your show, eh, hey guys? Thank you. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. it. Thank you so All much. right. Stay safe, Kelly. Stay safe and Merry Christmas. Yeah, you guys too. Take care, lads. Well, Peter, we said it before. Uh, this is obviously this was obviously going to be uh, you know a fun interview. Um, I think it was a great guest to have on. I'm looking forward to having more like that on. Uh, but yeah, like I said, a guy that bounced around um, uh, from league to league after his OHL career. Uh, you know, Kelly's just a down to earth guy and, and uh, really happy to have him on. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's good to have like this kind of, like this kind of personality on, I mean, it's just, you're just drawn into it, you know? And we, again, like you said, it was, I mean, yeah, you bet you like, he bounced around quite a bit, but still a a successful uh, hockey career where he's played at like, you know, 
high competitive levels and you know we're really we were really happy to have him on and again like to have him on again at some point so yeah really 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 thank him for coming on with that said uh, obviously we're going to close out our 20th episode a lot more hockey news as we head towards the season and we will have more next week uh, as we you and I will jump on I don't think we're going to bring a guest on next week mm-hmm. but uh, we're heading into the Christmas uh, Christmas week here and you know, um, obviously, thanks to our our uh, listeners, as always, subscribe, tell your friends about us. We want to get those listens up. We want to get those downloads up so we can bring you some great content. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, happy holidays to everybody. Merry Christmas. Yes. Uh, and, and Peter, um, enjoy your week as we head into the Christmas year or season. Absolutely. Um, just be thankful. Be thankful for, you know, the family that you have. Although if you, I, I understand, you know, we all want to have like massive fam jams, but at the same time, just do what's right. Be safe, have a wonderful holiday season. And, you know, we're, there's light at the end. There's light at the end of this dark tunnel. So um, we'll get back to normal soon. It's going to be difficult this year because knowing that, you, you know, we always, we always make the time to, get together with everybody right um be safe be smart and just do the right thing happy holidays and all the best to you all in the new year as well absolutely have a good week guys